Hello and welcome to Football Masterminds, the show where we attempt to say intelligent things about football. I'm Reese Desmond, and I am joined, as ever, by the great, the one and only, Euro superstar, Kostik Kapoor. Thank you, Reese. Again, a very, very kind introduction, like always. I appreciate it. I know Russell and uh, Reese had to do the last one alone, not alone, but you know, without the third person. We're but pretty as lonely. always, yeah, you guys, no, you weren't. You guys carried it well. I listened to the whole thing, obviously, and it was amazing. So, yeah, this one should be fun as well. Honestly, I totally had a like a thing to say for you as like the blank to my blank, but on Monday, but then I completely forgot about it now what it was. And I was like, I was trying to remember in the moment, like, wait, what did I want to say? Because I felt like I thought that was a good one, whatever I had in mind for you. But anyways, of course, we are here to talk about the Euros, all of the matches that happened this week in the round of 16. And it was an exciting week, a lot of upsets. We had France go home, Portugal go home, some of the big teams out of it now, Germany out of it. So it's it's really heating up here in a lot of unique ways that I don't think a lot of us saw coming. And we're going to start with the England-Germany match. And obviously, we wish Russell was here so he could brag in our faces some more about how right he was about England being the best team in the tournament. Even though I have clips that I could easily pull of him last time he was on this show saying Germany were going to win the whole tournament and he's still rubbing it in that he predicted England were going to go through. So what were your overall thoughts on the match though between England and Germany and then we'll dissect a bit of the the finer notes here. Yeah, so um, I think I've been saying this about international football for like the longest time and especially this tournament. We've seen some crazy things, some some wild games and we'll talk about I'm sure we'll talk about the France game as well because that was obviously insane um, but I just think of international football as um, take your chances or you're going home no matter how good of a team you are because for some reason crazy things keep happening keep on happening and that's sort of what England's game was I mean Timo Werner missed a great chance like always nothing new here um, in the beginning Thomas Muller missed as well uh, towards the end. And it's just, you know, you see this often, I feel like, in this tournament where for some reason either defensive cohesiveness is not there or the attacking cohesiveness is not there. And somehow it clicks for approximately a minute or two. And if you if you don't capitalize on that, um, it's probably not going to happen that often again. I don't know. What were your thoughts? Well, that's the thing is England's conversion rate has been so good at this tournament where they've had the third fewest shots per game out of any team in the tournament. Only Hungary and Finland took less shots than them uh, so far at the tournament, yet they've scored four goals. Not bad for the amount of shots that they've taken. They have done really well at progressing into the final third at the right moments and then working the angle for the shot. Sometimes they wait a bit too long, but you did feel like in the Germany game that they were kind of lethal, even though they only scored two goals of absolutely capitalizing on their very best moments to score. And just on the other end of the spectrum with the Germans, 
it was kind of the opposite where they had some really good chances to score and they couldn't do it. I don't think we'll ever get through a game that Timo Werner plays in where we don't comment in our opening comments about his miss of the game or whatever. It seems to happen every single time we talk about a Timo Werner game. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, and that's like something about the player itself, right? It's like, um, don't give us these many opportunities to bash you if you keep missing. Uh, albeit, this wasn't like a sitter or anything that he missed. Um, there were two routes he could have gone under the keeper or between the keeper's legs or dink the keeper. Um, he tried to do uh, the first one where he tried to sort of nutmeg the keeper for a goal. And that's always, I feel like in this sort of scenario, is always riskier because the keeper going, de- you have a small spot that you can hit when you're trying to finish this sort of goal, uh, when you're trying to nutmeg the keeper. Whereas if you try and dink the keeper, you have a large portion of the net. And this time, I think it was uh, on uh, his left foot, he could have gone to the right side of the net and that was a huge space open. He could have dinked the keeper quite, not quite easily, but a player of his quality, his class, a player that's considered uh, one of the better strikers, albeit maybe not this season, in the Premier League. He should have finished that. Yeah, and the Thomas Muir chance as well. You would back Thomas Muir to finish that chance off. And I just think Germany's tactics in this game were... They, I feel like they struggled to adapt in a lot of ways. I feel like Joachim Love struggled to adapt. I do feel like Tony Cruz was kind of hung out to dry in midfield a little bit because normally he would be partnered by someone a little bit more defensive, like Okai Gundogan, or, of course, I've been saying, why not Joshua Kimmich in that position? But playing Goretzka in that midfield alongside Cruz meant that they didn't have that sound defensive presence alongside the midfield maestro that is Cruz. They had a more box-to-box player who was constantly looking to get forward. And every time he did, a big hole could be left that someone like Jack Grealish, who is very, very good on the ball, can then exploit. And that's kind of what ended up happening when Germany just got out of position in a couple of moments in the game and England were able to take advantage of it. Yeah, I didn't quite understand that. He could have done the job, but I think the job that was given to him was just absolutely different from what you'd expect to see, right? The reason why Tony Cruz works so well at Real Madrid is because he's backed up by a Casemiro. And it's not because... I'm not saying necessarily that Tony Cruz can't play on his own or anything. But, like, but he really can't, though. You're right. Like He, he really can't, though, because he doesn't have the legs to uh, get back into the sixth role, right? I don't think right. he has the legs or uh, maybe he does have the strength, but definitely not the legs to actually track a player down if he's coming, if the player is coming at him at pace. Like I don't think he could keep up with that player. And that's why a Tony Cruz, Luka Modric midfield two at Real Madrid wouldn't work to the same extent that a midfield two of Casemiro and Tony Cruz would work. Um, or the midfield three, and it's it's the same sort of thing with like Yuri Tillemans or Jorginho. Jorginho works very well in Chelsea because he has N'Golo Conte alongside him, um, and they balance each other out very well. Yuri Tillemans had a fantastic season, and he could play on his own to an extent, but he's so much better with Ndidi alongside him, or with that more defensive midfield presence alongside him. Yeah. Um, the one, the one thing I will say about Germany was they were also like England in terms of the attacking intensity. That they had a couple moments and they fluffed their lines and couldn't score. Um, but what do we think about 
Raheem Sterling proving his doubters wrong yet again and coming up clutch with another goal. I like to see it. I think it is the sign of a player who has been given confidence by his manager um, and a very mentally strong player as well who is easily able to just silence his critics and showcase what he can do on the field to prove all of his doubters wrong. I really like to see it. The success of the goals is very important and very key to note. But I also feel like in different moments, Sterling isn't necessarily like the one who's really standing out for me. Like, I do think the defense in particular has been phenomenal. They have the best defensive record at the tournament. They haven't conceded a goal. Harry Maguire has looked like he hasn't spent the last month out injured. He's looked very up to pace. Um, Declan Rice was very good in this game. Calvin Phillips was very good again. I'm I'm more impressed with like the defensive side of things, and that is what you need a lot of the time to win tournament football. But yeah, at the same time, it is nice to see Raheem Sterling at least scoring goals and doing great things. I would just be cautious about like heaping praise on him as like England's best player or anything like that because I don't think he necessarily has been. I think he's just been in the right place at the right time to finish off chances more so than anything. Yeah, the one thing I would say is that I was disappointed in him picking up the ball and making those forward dashes. He looks like a someone who's either been told to not lose the ball or someone who's low on confident when he's with the ball because he doesn't turn around and attack players like I guess you would see at Man City. Although the City role that he plays is very, very almost straightforward in that get to the byline and look for somebody in the middle because there will be three players in the middle. Whereas here, he might have to do a bit more in beating more players and then uh, also only having to look for Kane or maybe Saka sometimes, right? With their uh, with England's defensive setup, I don't even think Calvin Phillips or Declan Rice get forward as much as maybe a Henderson would. So that is also harder on him, I think, and that's a lot to adapt to. But it's great to see a player that is being bashed up all ends up and uh, the fans have been calling for Grealish over him ever since he's been starting. And it's great to see his sort of work there. But the one thing I would say confuses me is that I think Sterling's defensive work might be marginally better or maybe a decent bit better than Grealish's. But... um, he doesn't, Grealish would not lose the ball, same as if, if you tell him not to. Uh, and he could also produce a bit more than like he did for Kane's goal. So that's the one thing I am uh, confused on. But I do have a theory for you and comment on this as you would like. I think if Harry Kane was in the form of his life in the Euros, I think he would start alongside Grealish. But just because he's not, I think uh, maybe Southgate is forced to start Sterling more because Sterling is where the goals are coming from. It's it's an interesting theory. I, I just think Gareth Southgate just has certain players that he absolutely loves that he doesn't ever want to leave out of the lineup if he can. Like I think he it was Italy's manager, Roberto Mancini, who said that he doesn't really have a best starting 11 and that he would like to rotate his players around a bit more. Whereas Gareth Southgate, I feel like in his head has like a very clear sense of this is my best 11. These are the players I must play and I'm going to get these outcomes out of them that I guarantee I know I will get out of them. Whereas someone like Jack Grealish or Jaden Sancho is more of a maverick in the team, maybe scares him a little bit because he's like, I don't know what kind of defensive discipline I'm going to get out of this player. So I don't fully trust them. 
I don't know how much more defensive stability do you sort of need or want. I mean, I guess he's winning games, so you can't really doubt him until he loses a game. Well, the the plan for Southgate to go more defensive in this match and play two wingers who are particularly good at pressing worked, and I could see him doing the exact same thing again. I would probably say keep the formation, keep the fourth, keep the three four two one, but play Mason Mount over Bukayo Saka because I think Mount can press just as well, and then also has the same sort of ability to glide around the field as Jack Grealish does. We've caught, we've kind of forgotten about Mason Mount all of a sudden just because Grealish was so good in this game, but Mason Mount was very good against Scotland and I think is still one of the best players in this team. So for me, I would still start Mason Mount with Sterling there. I just think there's no reason to be critical about anything Gareth Southgate has done when he hasn't conceded a single goal at the tournament. And he's set up his team in a very smart way to defend from the front and then capitalize on moments when they can get chances. It's not the most exciting brand of football. Obviously, we would love to see Grealish and Sancho just running riots around the opposition. But it's very possible that had those two players started the game or had Grealish started the game, Germany would have had the energy to be able to cope with him and that he would have been made redundant. Coming on in the 70th minute, he was able to completely change the game because he was able to open up more space where Germany were lacking suddenly and not able to keep up with the energy that he brought in. That's totally fair. Like People are tired. Players are more tired at the 70. And when a maverick like Krilish or Sancho come on, you could see that they have more time and space on the ball because they're not being pressed. And the likelihood of them losing the ball higher up the field goes down, which makes them more threatening and like Grealish said, pick out a ball for someone like Kane that can just put it into an open net. So I agree. I agree with you that there's no need to be, at least now, there's no need to be uh, critical. I know in the beginning we could have been, but we'll see what happens in the next game, though. It's against Ukraine, which have been obviously a surprise. So we'll have to see how that's uh, set up. Maybe maybe he does go with the same defensive unit and uh, more cover with not playing someone like Grealish. But I'd like to see a more brave Southgate. Why stress it out in extra time or penalties, which is absolutely a game of chance then when you have players like like Grealish that can make sure that you actually win within regulation time. Well, that would be my argument. I would say that he was brave in this match and because it was nil-nil at 75 minutes in, he could have said, I'm going to bring on another defensive midfielder. Um, I think Jordan Henderson did eventually come on and both of the defensive midfielders were booked, but I think Jordan Henderson only came on after the first goal had been scored. And I think he was brave in saying, okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to put on my hypothetically most dangerous player to come on and change this match. So I do think he was brave. I am very interested to see what happens as we move along here. And England's next match, as you said, will be against the Ukraine who advanced through a masterclass, I would say from Alexander Zinchenko who was very good as the left wing back in the team. He scored a goal. He assisted the other. It was a very energetic match up until about the 70th minute. I think both teams were very reluctant to put players on because they had so much trust in the players that they started the match with and didn't have as much as as much trust in the players coming off the bench. 
Amo Forsberg was amazing. He hit the post twice. He scored a great goal. But other than him and Zinchenko, there wasn't much quality on this pitch. And I would say that Ukraine are looking unlikely to beat England. On the Ukraine note, though, with regards to Southgate's formation, Ukraine have also been playing a back three. So it would logistically make sense if Southgate stuck to what he went with in the round of 16. It's just about, I think, fitting Mason Mount back in there because I think he would want to play Mount if he could. I'd still think that attacking midfield role suits him. Yeah, my my only problem with Mount is that who do you play him for? I I think you mentioned Saka, was it? Yeah, Saka. Yeah, but he plays on the left for the most part, which makes it harder to try, I guess, uh, Mount in that regard. But I don't know how you take off Saka after that performance. Like, that would be really mean and out of the blue for him, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like Sterling could move to the right very easily. I I think he probably did once Grealish came on in the match as well, since Grealish is very left-sided in the sense that he wants to always cut inside. So it doesn't make sense to have him cut inside on his left foot, um, which is the weaker one of the two. Yeah, I would I would still drop Saka, you have a player with the status of Mason Mount, a Champions League winner, one of the players of the season. I think Mount should come in over Saka at this point and Sterling move to the right. But let's move on to some of the other big upsets here. One that I don't think many people expected at all. And certainly I bet not you with uh, your France p- prediction going into the tournament but Switzerland knocking out France on penalty kicks. It was a great penalty kick shootout, but a massive upset here. Harris Severovic scoring two goals to send France out of the tournament. That was insane. I've, the game was awesome, I think, to watch because up till then it was sort of energetic and to end. France were trying their best. Pogba's Pog boom. That was like, <laughs> that's what Pogba could really do. And I don't, someone needs to get that out of him at club football because although he's not on my team, I would love to see that we can make out. And he can do it. He's got the technique, he's got the power. Benzema proving that his comments about not be compared with a go kart that was Olivia Giroud was fair. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was a great game, uh, open ended, end to end. Kylian Mbappe absolutely got roasted for not being able to finish and not doing too much. That was sad to see because he's definitely and genuinely one of the best. Kudos to Switzerland for showing that, you know, regardless of the status of the team, if you try hard enough, especially in international football, it's very, very possible to create an upset. Um, the only thing I would say is as good as Pogba was attacking, um, when right before Switzerland's second goal, I think it was, uh, I think he gave away the ball and it was just kind of jogging, not running back. And he has been absolutely flamed on social media for doing that. And that was sort of Jose Mourinho's comments on France celebrating before they actually won because they were two goals up. I thought all of that was fair. And you know what? It's it's kind of sad to see because they, with their attacking prowess, they probably would have beaten the next team and definitely gone to the semis. Um, and who knows what would have happened there. But I just think them giving up after 75th minute defensively. I think that was just very strange to see from a, from players that are so, so experienced 
very surprised at that to happen. They did get very complacent. They thought that they had won the game and that was it, but it clearly wasn't. And to go to start with your Mbappe point, it's very harsh, isn't it? Like he he had a good game still. He assisted a goal. He's had a good tournament. Yes, he hasn't scored, but we all remember that moment in the opening game against Germany and that goal being so fantastic and you wish that could stand and that the rules were different to allow an offside goal like that to count it's he had a good game I hate I hate the criticism from social media I think Pogba was Pogba was immense in possession of the ball he was outstanding the the way he just glides around the field and then is able to pick out the right pass at the right moment almost perfectly so many times in a match he is just impeccable he shouldn't be playing in a midfield too i think didier deschamps should be the one getting hammered on social media not paul pogba he was he was incredible he had such a good game i i'm gonna go out on a limb here and say this was like the error for his goal aside this was one of the standout performances from a player at the tournament in paul pogba's game against switzerland i thought he was incredible I guess for me, it's sort of that, like, when... Because I support Liverpool, and we, uh, like, as a team with Jurgen Klopp, are very uh, all-for-one, and everybody needs to do what everybody does. Like, a superstar like, like Salah are not allowed to rest. So that mentality to me, even though it was for a slight second, you cannot, in a professional setting, just give away the ball and jog towards it, expecting other players to cover up for you when you're not injured or it's not even at the 95th or extra time, right? It's not that I would, if this was in extra time, I would give him a pass even that, hey, listen, you lost the ball, um, but, you know, you, you played 110 minutes. This is 75 minutes. You're a professional footballer. I don't understand. That attitude to me just does not make sense, I guess, is because I watch Liverpool, right? When somebody at Liverpool gives away the ball, you will see them run, a hundred yards if necessary. So they're the ones that are covering up for their mistakes. And you'll see that with Salah so many times. And that is just immense to see because Salah is a superstar, just like Pogba is, right? And that's what I think is sort of the difference, I guess, mentality-wise, which I don't like to see. But aside from that, you're totally right. He had an immense game. He scored one of the goals of the tournament. Uh, He has great passing range. You could see that in a sort of a midfield three for Manchester United, he'd be amazing given uh, if he plays behind Bruno and with somebody like McTominay, maybe. Um, yeah, so I agree with you, but it's just, can you can you relate to what I'm saying, I guess? Can you, can you empathize with what people are saying? I do, but not in the sense of like, in the sense of like what you are saying, yes. In the sense of like hammering him on social media when he's just been like player of the game, like no. Um, because I do think Didier Deschamps is just so much more to blame for that. You were playing Adrian Rabio as a left wing back when he could be playing in central midfield and help to cover for what you know you're going to get out of Pogba defensively, which is he will make a few tackles, he will give away the ball, and he won't have the mental capacity, the energy to get back in time. It's why he needs someone like Conte alongside him, but having someone else is an extra bonus so that Conte doesn't have to do all of the work for him. I mean, you had Luca Hernandez just sitting on the bench. He could have easily played left back. I don't know why Didier Deschamps decided to match Petkovic's 3-4-1-2. 
um, and go with that sort of same system where like the center backs look confused on who to cover, who to pick up when. I mean, yeah, I don't understand why Clement Longley played in this match. And Russell is always very hard on him and he watches Barcelona much more often than we do. So fair enough. But we talked about like Upamakano as a player who we have no idea why he didn't make that squad. And if you want to play a back three, you have to have someone like Upamakano who has played that for his club team like week in, week out. Kimpempe and Varane haven't really done that. Longley hasn't done that. Rabio has never played left back, left wing back in his life before you threw him into that at the Portugal match. It was just some of the tactics, some of the decisions were absolutely outrageous. And this is like a manager who's won the World Cup, who's come second in the Euros of the previous championships. I I don't understand why he made the decisions that he made and I think he is the one to blame more than any player could ever be I would totally agree on that actually like just thinking about the fact that France is known for its attacking prowess it's known to have one of the best attacking sides that are in the tournament right so why not just stick to that stick to your back four, maybe maybe even add another Musa Sissoko in midfield or Adrian Rabio, whatever that is, to give that extra cover. But play your attacking self. No need to match the other team just because the other team is playing three at the back. With, with players like Griezmann, Mbappe, Benzema, Pogba, you'll open up most defenses and guaranteed you will open up uh, the Switzerland defense like you did three times, right? So I don't know why that happened. That was... That was really strange to watch. Um, it's not that the, the even the center backs that they had on the field are in their peak. Uh, Kimpembe is probably the best out of the three right now in, that, in this current moment. And that's saying a lot because he's not even the, that good. Um, Varane has sort of faded off. Uh, long mm-hmm. lay, like Russell has said, is just not it. So not picking up a Meccano. I don't know what you have against him. You could have said he's a small club player, but now he's with Bayern, so you can't even say that. So that didn't make sense. That whole This whole strategy did not make sense, for sure. No, not at all. And France at this tournament, can you imagine if he hadn't picked Karim Benzema? Like, where would they be? He scored over 50% of their goals. He was incredible in this game yet again, scored two. I feel like he's just had a hand in nearly everything they've created. I can't imagine how bad this actually might have been for France in this tournament. They might not have topped the group had they not selected Benzema, which seems wild to say because his selection was such a, a not like a surprise. Yeah, Benzema has been absolutely immense in everything that he does, holding up the ball, um, little one-twos that he plays. His finishing has been really good. There's nothing you can blame. I feel like even, like you said, Mbappe is not the one to blame here. He assisted, right? So it's just the weird defensive strategy, um, playing the three at the back, players that never have played. So they don't know whether to follow the attacker in the midfield or one of Pogba or Griezmann is going to attract them, right? Like, what do you expect? Are you expecting Griezmann to track players? Are you expecting Pogba to track players knowing that that won't happen? Or do you really truly expect Conte to be all over the field like the meme suggests? You know, it's like he went on Instagram too much one day and saw that Conte can be everyone. I was like, yeah, Conte will cover everything. No worries. And just 
went along with it. Let's move on to Spain. They nearly had the exact same thing that France had happened to them. Uh, they were up 3-1. Luckily for them, though, they didn't wait until penalty kicks to get the job done. They got two extra time goals to send themselves three on a 5-3 to three scoreline. Spain have now scored five goals in their previous two Euro matches, which seems crazy when Russell and I were talking the last time we were on the show about how Spain couldn't score and what they could attempt to do to fix it. Well, they seem to have found a perfect solution for themselves. It's been crazy. I mean, Sarabia has been just, I think, their player off the tournament almost so far. Just the way he moves with the ball, can finish. I just, I really like that player. And I didn't know too much about this player before the Euros because I don't watch um, what team he plays on. But, um, yeah, like I, I haven't watched, I don't watch uh, League One too much. So I didn't really know much about him. But this game and the previous games, he's just been, he's been really good. Um, Morata, again, like, he missed a, he's kind of like Timo Werner, but somehow could score a goal because he has like 800 chances. So one of them is bound to go in numbers game, love averages, whatever you want to call it. But he missed a couple sitters again today. So yeah. um, I don't think there's a substitute for Morata yet. Spain doesn't have another sort of attacker in there. But um, yeah, at least he scored to uh, seal the deal. So that was that was good on him, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I think his performance overall was very positive, and his goal was very nice. It was well taken. They do have Gerard Mourinho, and I have been saying as well that Ferran Torres can play as a striker if they need. I just, I still, I look at this team and I think there is no way Spain is winning this thing. Now let's move on to Belgium 1, Portugal 0. This was a, perhaps a more dull affair than people would have hoped for, Portugal now out of the tournament. The previous winners of the championships, Ronaldo, unable to officially break the record at this tournament for most international goals. And Belgium coming out on top over a Portugal side that looked more dominant throughout the game. So, what were your thoughts on this one? Uh, I'm going to say the same thing again, like I said for the England one. You don't finish your chances. Diogo Jota had some beautiful chances that he could have... Uh, put in but he fluffed his lines um, when you do that for some reason in international football there always comes a moment when you regret it and I'm sure they're regretting it now um, the only point of contention I think before this game was whether Bruno Fernandes starts but I think Renato Sanchez had a really really good game he turned with the ball really well looked for forward passes really well um, Fernandez could have scored and maybe could have, you know, produced a wonder moment. I think that's more of his style anyway. But I will take nothing away from Renato Sanchez in this game. So um, the way the game ended was one of the goals of the tournament. Torgan Hazard pulling something out of his magic hat and just scoring an absolute screamer in the top of the right net. That's just what it was. I, I honestly thought that Portugal should have won this game by the amount of chances they had. But again, you don't finish, that's game over in these international tournaments. Yeah, it kind of is. I don't know why Bruno Fernandes didn't start. I think there's room for both Renato Sanchez and Bruno Fernandes. I really wish Fernando Santos has decided to play a different formation in this tournament because I think there was room to get Bruno Fernandes in more central attacking areas rather than having to play him out wide or play him as a left center mid. Um, which I don't think either of those really get the best out of his strengths. 
So yeah, I I think Belgium have a real chance now of winning this tournament. It's going to be hard if they don't have Kevin De Bruyne. I don't think the Aiden Hazard loss is like absolutely massive. I think Carrasco can still play a decent role. Dries Mertens is still a decent player. But if they don't have De Bruyne... Yeah, sorry, just on that. And also, um, Hazard hasn't played a lot of football in the past year and hasn't had the best tournament either so i don't think that's a big loss either i agree with you yeah exactly and if they i think that's why the de bruyne one is more massive he didn't have his necessarily like best 48 minutes from like an attacking midfield role i do think he worked a little bit better deeper but that's difficult to do like we talked about with germany because Telemans can be the more defensive one there, but you would still want hypothetically more steel in there with an Axel Witzel. So it's tough to get him in that if you're going to th- play a three-four-two-one. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think the role necessarily got the best out of his specific strengths in the amount of time he was given to play. The only other comment I'll make on this game is Torgan Hazard is the better Hazard. Like I feel like that's been the case for the past couple of years, though, and I feel like uh, I feel like it's uh, coming true in this tournament, which uh, it should never have been that way. Aiden Hazard was like at one point one of the best five or so players in the world, and Torgan Hazard will never reach that level ever. But uh, but let's move on to the final three matches here, the earliest ones of the round of 16. These were almost like so long ago at this point that I'm forgetting my thoughts on them. But Czech Republic beat the Netherlands 2-0. We were, all three of us, very impressed with the Netherlands, very impressed with Depay. We thought this system was working very well. And then all of a sudden, Matthias Delict slips, Patrick Schick gets, it, gets in, he decides to handball it to stop that from happening. And then, basically, it's game over from some guy named Thomas Holas, who no one knew before the tournament began. Yeah, that cost them a lot of their intensity, especially playing three at the back to two at the back. Uh, I think Denzel Dumfries still had one of the better games. He tried his best, but you know that the game was sort of lost after that anyway. It was very surprising. Like, Czech Republic have been very good at this tournament, but all of us would have still backed... Netherlands, especially how well players like Jorginho Vinaldum and Frankie Dion and Memphis Depay were playing. I do think Frank DeBoer didn't really know how to react after the red card happened. I do think starting Wout Veghorst would have been a better decision right from the jump. Um, but the Czech Republic side of it, like there's a lot to like about this Czech Republic team. They're very hardworking. They're very organized defensively. And then they have some stars like Schick, like Suchek, like Sufal. They have a very good goalkeeper as well. I've been very impressed with Thomas Vachelik. So I, I think Czech Republic are potentially heading into the semifinals here. They play Denmark next round. And Denmark have scored, I think, is it eight goals in their, yeah, in their past two games, which is wild. So it will be a very attack-minded team against one that has been very good defensively and I'm interested to see that tactical battle take place uh let's move on to that Denmark Wales game quickly and then we'll end with Italy Austria Kasper Dolberg coming out of nowhere he scored two goals in this match he hadn't really I think even started a game up to this point but he 
He was the man of the match by far, but a lot of very solid performers in here. Uh, left wing back Joachim Male was very good. Uh, I talked about Damsgaard the last time I was on. I thought he was excellent again. Uh, Martin Brathwaite was very good. <laughs> like I think Denmark are the only dark horse, supposed dark horse, that are actually fulfilled their promise here now. Yeah, and if you look at their team, Vestergaard, Kerr, Christensen, Hoibjerg, Delaney, Schmeichel, Braithwaite, they have a lot of players that are well-known in the footballing world. It's not that they're playing in some random Russian league. Like they're, They have <laughs> players that are playing in the top leagues, and that's uh, nobody would have sort of expected that with with uh, this team. So that, honestly, I watched, I didn't get to cast the game, but I watched the highlights and it just looked like a bloodbath. So I was sad that I didn't watch it because it would have been a fun attacking show. But you know what? Like I, I am excited to see them play Czech Republic next. That would be fun to watch. Wales were also abysmal in this game. Like it was the kind of thing where you get a couple of decisions not going your way. You can see the goal and then you just pout about it, thinking nothing's going my way today. I give up. And that's kind of like what happened with Wales. They were very bad. They started to make very rash tackles. Harry Wilson just got himself sent off for pure stupidity. Uh, a, stupi- a, a bad performance by Wales to finish off a decent Euro run here. But just making Denmark look all the more capable along the way here for them. Let's finish with Italy and Austria. Italy needed extra time to do it here uh, to beat Austria 2-1. 90 minutes of good football, but the extra time was the most exciting part about this. Uh, and Roberto Mancini, we talked about Southgate's decisions off the, uh, to Southgate's substitute decisions, and Roberto Mancini made some excellent substitute decisions here and ended up having two of his subs score goals with Chiesa and Piscina getting extra time goals. Do you remember this match from all the way back on Monday or Sunday or whatever it was? I do remember like it being sort of an intense game in the first 90 minutes, but more of an open game in extra time. Uh, but honestly, nothing more over that. It was so long ago. We should record it more often, but we will next time, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I I really enjoyed this game. I thought Austria really took it to Italy, which I was very surprised about. You still kind of felt like Italy were going to get the win. Like, you never felt like they were very much in danger. Even when that offside goal went in, you still kind of felt like, yeah, but England, Italy are going to come back from this, surely. Um, And that is what happened. Italy were very good in extra time. Free-flowing attack, started to ramp it up a bit more got the goals and ended up winning the game. Even just having Donnarum in goal, like he was only tested a couple of times, but the few times that he was tested, he was very good and made some outstanding saves. So there's a lot to like about this Italy team as well. And I still think they are almost destined for the final here. I don't want to jinx them, but I do. I am looking forward, I think, to a Italy-England Final? Is that is that possible? I haven't really studied the bracket like Russell has. No, yeah. I mean, if there is a final, it is, right? Yeah, so uh, I think... Is that what you would go for? Or would you put like a Belgium... I would, re- I would think... like to see a Belgium... 
So you think Belgium are going to beat Italy then? Maybe not then. Maybe because if England lose to Ukraine, I'll be really sad because that's it. Come on, you beat Germany. You have to beat Ukraine. There's no way you don't. Uh, the goals are coming from their left wing back. You have to beat them. Um, I fully expect Spain and Switzerland to be a 50-50 just because Switzerland are coming off this crazy high and they still have great players. Czech Republic to beat Denmark. And then Belgium, Italy. If Belgium had everyone fit, I would say just based on the tournament that they've had, they could beat Italy. But now I think it might definitely be Italy. I think so too. I think we're heading for a Italy-Spain semifinal and an England-Czech Republic semifinal. I, don't, I think that's what the bracket is. Uh, and if that's right, then we're looking at one of either England, Ukraine, Czech Republic, or Denmark in the final, which is wild to me. England are the only team in there that I would have said, like, yeah, they have a chance. So this is this is very exciting now. I'm I'm really looking forward to... I think the match I'm looking forward to the most, obviously, like, I think the Belgium-Italy one could be kind of dull. I'm obviously looking forward to England again and seeing their tactics but the one i'm really looking forward to is that czech republic denmark game because i feel like those two teams are just very even level playing field but very different and will take very different approaches to the game so i'm excited to see what happens there it should be a quite a fun weekend i think yeah definitely so that'll be it for today costi where can people find you People can find me at Football Masterminds, F-U-T-B-O-L underscore Mastermind. We're doing new crazy things with Reese, so uh, follow us on Instagram for more of those updates, and we promise to give you exciting content all the time, all day, every day. Yeah, the Spin the Ball Would I Lie to You episode finally just went up tonight. Basically, I was editing it, and then my computer died, broke in actually the middle of the Czech Republic Netherlands game I had to start fresh and uh, I lost all I also lost like my audio on it so I have the only the backup audio where I sound a little bit less high quality which is okay but uh, yeah just uh, that's why it took so long to get up from the last spin the ball episode that we had which was like 20 days before tonight obviously anything that reese is hosting and has people on is going to be exciting to listen to be sure to give it a listen it's a different type of show and i'm sure uh we're all craving different types of content and you know what it's there for you to listen to yeah thanks for hyping up as well costia i appreciate that so you can find me at desmond reese at mastermind site visit the mastermindsite.com and see what we have going on with all of our different tactical analyses of the euros right now we just released our piece on england so you don't want to miss that czech republic coming soon probably by the time that this is released so make sure to check that out as well and of course do not miss the next episode of football masterminds where we hope to have costi and russell in the same room together once and for all hopefully we can get them back on an episode together someday Uh, but in the meantime we will see you all next time have a good one and goodbye